Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. Today's guest is Dan Clore. He uh, is the founder of the American Warrior Festival. He is a Marine Corps veteran with a very interesting story. He enlisted in the late 90s, uh, but eventually ended up leaving the service, but wanted to get back into the Marine Corps and tried his best to get back in. And through a series of just uh, sort of happenstance occurrences, uh, was able to get back in. Uh, I'll let him tell that story here at the beginning of the podcast, but we will get into what the American Warrior Festival is, uh, all of the amazing programs they have, and the amazing mentorship program that they have that takes kids that want to serve, uh, but were unable to do so due to their academics or physical fitness. Uh, they take these kids under their wing, and they get them prepared for the Marine Corps. Uh, it's a really cool organization, the American Warrior Festival, and I'm excited to bring this episode to you. Uh, they also have some interesting things coming up here in Pittsburgh, if you're in Pittsburgh and listening. Uh, so be sure to check out their website. They are going to be at the Steelers and Las Vegas uh, Raiders game on Christmas Eve and still have tickets available. So I'll have all the information on how to contact Dan here in the description to so check it out. And if you're new to us on the Scuttlebutt, thank you for checking out the podcast and supporting us. Please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. You can email me also at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org with any comments, thoughts, uh, or ideas for future episodes. I'm always interested to hear from our audience uh, about what you don't maybe understand about the military and would like to learn more about. I'd be happy to, to highlight that on a future episode. Uh, and uh, as an FYI, I'm expecting my second child at the beginning of next year. So at some point, we will take a small hiatus uh, while, uh, while I'm off um, with my family. Um, but we'll be coming back uh, with more of the scuttlebutt all of next year. Excited to bring you all of those episodes. Thank you so much for uh, supporting the podcast and enjoy the show. Okay. Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for having me back on the scuttlebutt. My name is Ryan All. I'm an Army veteran. I uh, deployed to Iraq a couple times. I'm currently still in the reserves, hopefully retiring soon. Uh, and I work for the VA's Vet Center, where we provide uh, readjustment counseling for war zone veterans and their families, uh, free of charge and confidentially. And yeah, th thanks a lot for having me back on, Sean. Definitely, Ryan. Thanks for, for joining us again. And Dan uh, from the American Warrior Festival. Dan, I'd uh, love for you to introduce yourself. Welcome to the Scuttlebutt. All right. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm Dan Clore, Marine Corps veteran, uh, served in Ramadi, Iraq. Uh, now I, I run, founded and, and run the American Warrior Festival, which is a military branded entertainment event company. And we also do military mentorship and training. And uh, I'm excited to be on the show today. Definitely. So we would love to hear a bit about your service, Dan, before we get to the American Warrior Festival. And you and I have chatted a bit outside of the podcast about uh, your sort of unique story. Can you lead us up to, well, first, like, why did you join the Marines? And lead us up to that first time that, that you left the Marines and why it was sort of a unique situation to the point where you were like, I want to get back in, but you were having trouble. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, as a as a uh, child, I was always into you know, like a lot of like a lot of young dudes, uh, Rambo movies, Conan movies, the the warrior movies that were around. It kind of spoke to me at an early age, comic books and all that type of stuff. So uh, a couple guys in my school, the, the older guys, went into the Marine Corps, and then they would come back to the high school. And with their dress blues on and that was a pretty powerful presence you know seeing that uniform and seeing the change in them and how strong and sharp they look so you know one of my good friends he was one of the guys that went in and he ended up becoming a recruiter in the area now the ironic thing is this same individual my recruiter is now my brother-in-law so I, I think there's t-shirts out there. It says my recruiter dated my sister or whatever, but that's kind of reality <laughs> for me. <laughs> so he, uh, he's, he's a good dude. And he ended up putting me in and he was looking out for me by saying, okay, you know, what do you want to do after the Marine Corps? Why, why don't you get into, you know, maybe something in the Marines that can lead into uh, a segue into what you want to do after the Marine Corps. So I ended up with a, the job of admin, which was, Def, I found out was definitely not for me very early on. So I was in the reserves at that point and I was at a reserve unit in Rochester where I was doing admin work and I was really not happy. Um, so I went out to Los Angeles about a year or two after and joined uh, an infantry unit and they let me train and go with the grunts and train with them to do that job. So we were all good to go. Long what year was this? This was, uh, this would have been 96 into 97, 1996 into 1997. Mm -hmm. I joined in uh, September 1994. I graduated boot camp. 
So uh, when I went back to New York, it was one of those things where on paper, my job was still admin and it was a battle to, to keep that infantry job. So as soon as the Marine Corps told me I, I wasn't going to be able to have it, I was a young Marine, stubborn, and uh, I told them if I couldn't be infantryman, I, I didn't want to be a part of it at all anymore. So they told me, young man, that's not how it works. They broke me down from a Lance Corporal to a PFC to a private, and then sent me out with a general under other than honorable discharge. That would have been 98, 99. So uh, fast forward to 2000. Well, let me, let me quickly interrupt you, Dan. I'm sorry. Did you feel like that was a bit unfair? No, no, not at all. I think that it was all me being Mm -hmm. stubborn and, and making a decision kind of not thinking it through and maybe trying to find other ways that were more positive to get, to get the job, you know, that, it was probably the, I, I don't know, because you look back at things and they happen for a reason. And this is one of those things where if I could go back and do it again, I, I don't know if I would change it because it led to so many other things that were positive. You right. know, so mm-hmm. uh, in 2002, 2003, I, I got a magazine and just looked at it. And with something about it just made me think about how I ended my service. And it was just like a tidal wave of, of emotions hitting me like, what the hell? What am I, am I going to tell my child how many years from now that her father wasn't, didn't serve honorably? It just hit me like, holy, like, wow, I, I have to, I have to fix this. Mm-hmm. So I called up the Marine Corps and, and the prior service recruiters. They said, sure, no problem. We'll put you back in. Let me get your record books up. Oh, oh no, no. No, you're, uh, you don't qualify. There's nothing, there's nothing we could do with you. You have a reenlistment code of an RE4, which is the worst reenlistment code that the Marine Corps gives out. It what is, is that? What is that? Uh, being a civilian, I, I've, I've not heard of that. It, and Ryan, do you, you guys have it in the Army as well, right? The reenlistment code? Yeah, they, uh, they have a, yeah, a reenlistment code. And then they also have like a, on your paperwork when you get out that sometimes it won't say exactly what it was, but there'll be a little code there and it'll have more specifics about why you were, you were put out um, that you have to, you have to know where to look to find the answers for that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it, an RE4 is, is a pretty tough hill to climb, right? You know, it's. Yeah. 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 <laughs> for sure. That and the Marine Corps is, you know, is different a little bit than the army, especially since the Marine Corps is so small, right? Like sometimes they kick out people who want to stay in, right? Yeah. Right. So right. I can only imagine the the struggle that you had to go through to get back in with the tough reenlistment code. With they they just wouldn't they really wouldn't spend any time with me. They wouldn't take the calls when I'd come in. It was just basically we listen. We can't do anything with you. This is something that's. I, I suggest you kind of find a way to deal with it and move on. That was persistent. I was willing to accept. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I wasn't willing to accept that. So. I said, all right, if I wasn't going to be in the Marine Corps, which branch would I join? And it was always the Army. For me, it was always the Marine Corps and the Army. My, personally, my favorite two branches. My father and grandfather served in the Army. My cousin uh, was a West Point grad, or is a West Point grad. So a lot of Army in my family. So I went to the New York National, you know, the Guard, actually. I know it's a different state-funded state, state funded thing as, as opposed to the Army Reserve. But yeah. I went to the New York Guard. They couldn't work with that reenlistment code. So that was another no. Then I went back to California. A lot of going back and forth in New York to California in this story. So I went up to the California Guard, and there was a grunt unit there. It was all like Army Rangers that were now in the Guard, a lot of Marines. So it really felt like a home because there was a lot of people that were like-minded. And they let me join. So I did one year with them. Got an honorable discharge. I was excited about it because that was a step forward. I brought it back to the Marine Corps. I said, look, I'm working on my life. I got my own business. I got this honorable discharge. Can we get the discussions going again? Uh, We really still don't care. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I I kept bugging them. And then here's where the the destiny kind of happened, where things changed. I decided to go back to New York for New Year's, Christmas and New Year's, 2004 into 2005. 
And out of nowhere, I just decided to go to this golf course restaurant bar that I hadn't been to in 15 plus years, maybe. So I walk in and there's this individual, looks familiar, big, tall guy. I realize it's an old friend of mine that was on the wrestling team when I was in junior high. He was a senior. He went to the Marine Corps through the Naval Academy. He was a successful officer. At the time, he was a major. So I walked up to him. We hadn't seen each other in probably maybe 20 years. Yeah. Something like that. He goes, how's the Marine Corps going? You know, how are you still in? I told him, I said, oh, man, I would love to get back in. He goes, how come you're not in Iraq doing your thing? I said, well, let's, let's talk about what happened there. I have a story. And he said, all right, well, let's get a beer and talk about it. So I told him what was going on. He goes, are you trying to get back in actively? I said, yeah, I, I would love to get back in. He goes, I tell you what, it might be your lucky night. I said, you know what, how so? Those recruiters that aren't calling you back, they work under my command. <laughs> well, that is fortunate. Yeah. Yep. He, he said, all right, tell me your story. He goes, I can't promise anything, but what I can tell you I can do, I can put a package together for you with other Marine Corps officers, vouch for you, send it to headquarters Marine Corps and try to get you in a unit that is low on numbers. You're going to be going back to Iraq. Or you're going to be going to Iraq, though. I said, I'll go anywhere. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to fix this. Yeah. So that that that's what happened. Uh, we put the package together. I wrote a letter of what it meant to me and how bad I wanted to fix it, how I was wrong is the biggest mistake I made in my life, and I would do anything to make it right. And it got sent up to headquarters Marine Corps, and I believe at first a colonel may have denied it. I believe that was what happened. Yeah. Then a, a, a sergeant major came up and said, look at this Marine, look at his record before he decided to get to leave he had four eights four nines he's a good pft -er. i suggest you give him another chance sir they need the bodies he's willing to go so i got the call and they said get your affairs in order you're going to be at 29 palms in june and remember this started in january so you're you're going to be in training in june you're going to be in iraq in september and that's exactly what happened i wow <laughs> i did, did my tour and got came back to the states in April. Stayed in two to three more years. Got my honorable discharge. Got all my rank back and then some. And it's it was really a blessing. It ended up working out for me. When you That's got awesome. back in, did you have to go back through all the training and everything? Like, just no, I didn't have to go through boot camp or anything. But I started back out as a private, mm -hmm. and I, I had to just jump into the unit that was already training. It was an artillery unit that ended up doing like security and MP3 work, uh, convoy securities, running the prisons, um, you know, detainee transfers, things like that, training the Iraqis. Yeah. It's kind of like an artillery unit that became an MP unit. And then when I got back to the States, that one California unit that I was a part of in 96, I went back there and finished my career there. Wow. It, in fact, some of the guys that were there worked under some of the Marines that I served with in 96. It, they were like platoon sergeants. Wow. So they're like, you knew, you knew Staff Sergeant Hewison? I'm like, yeah, he was Lance Corporal Hewison then, but uh, we, that was my buddy. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a full circle. I don't know. I, I'm really appreciative of that. So I would like to push that forward in the military where they consider more second chance situations because I feel people make mistakes like that yeah. and they want to come back. They come back 10 times the soldier, 10 times the Marine. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with uh, young soldiers, young Marines, right, in, in my experience, uh, you know, there's a certain level of like, you know, immaturity, right? Not enough life experience, um, not understanding where they fit. And sometimes, sometimes that's a product of their personality. And sometimes that's a product of them not having good leaders, right? But then, uh, you know, um, if you were to, you know, get them when they were a few years older, had a little more life experience, um, they, they probably, yeah, they, I could totally see that, that they would be a much better 
soldier and marine than they than they were when they were 18 right right because think about it when you go through something like that and it hits you and you fight that hard for it yeah you put that uniform on again it's a different animal than it was the first time i think yeah it's you don't know what you got till it's gone and some (laughs) people are like you fought that hard to get back in they don't understand it And, and also i have i've had individuals come up to me in the same situation and I tell them, is it something you want to do or is it something you need to do? Yeah. Like if you wake up every morning and it burns in your a fire in your soul and you will drop everything for it, come talk to me. I'll see if I can help in any way. But if it's just something you kind of want to do, I don't know if, the, if you're going to have enough fire to push that through because it was my number one mission. I had to put my business on hold and build it all back. I, I, I was living pretty good at that point, but it was just something. And I probably would have pushed that until I could not push it anymore. I wasn't done, even if I didn't run into that. Hurt. What did it feel like that first time you put the uniform back on? The camis are too big. <laughs> I look, I look like Gover Pyle. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it was phenomenal. It, it was great. Um, it was just something I, I just put it back on and I took a minute to really take it all in. Uh, it, it, it was it, it was surreal. It was like, wow, I can't believe it. And it said U.S. Marines, you know, because I put the Army uniform on and I and I had a lot of pride in the Army and in, in the Guard and I still do. They were really good to me. But when you come up as a Marine, it's an extra special thing. That's where it started. And, mm-hmm. I, I was just really excited to do any extra duty that I could do too. Like in Iraq, I was a personal trainer too. So I helped the platoon get in better shape. Um, I'm a guitar player. So I play the worship songs for our, our fellow Marines on Sundays. So I was doing a lot of extra things and the unit sent a message to the Colonel because the Colonel, my Colonel buddy now it was a major at the time. And he was actually in Iraq directing uh, convoys. He was like the director of convoys and the routes and everything in Iraq for uh, like a seven months. So they told him, "Hey, thanks for sending this guy. He's he's always ready to take extra things on." And they promoted me every chance they got. And the ironic thing about it all, that major who helped change my life, he now works with me in this company. Yeah, that's cool. Were that's... all the guys calling you grandpa because you? <laughs> they... They, you, you know, you know what, John? They did at first, uh, but I was in the best shape of my life. Actually, my my scores at twenty nine were better than I was at nineteen. So I, I had a rule. I said, "Listen, you fellas could beat me up to the hill. You can call me Grandpa, but if I smoke you, you need to cut that out because how how can you call me Grandpa?" And that was a funny thing. During the PFTs, I told them to keep their old man discount because you know at twenty nine you get the old man. Uh, yeah. The requirements change. I told them to keep the change there, but uh, <laughs> it, it, they did. They did mess with me. I we had jokes like I was in the Marine Corps when you guys were in second grade. There were things like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's got to be fun. You know, like what was it like to use a flintlock rifle, Dan? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ex- exactly. You guys yeah. use muskets, you know? Yeah. That's cool. Ryan, how rare is is this? It seems to me very rare for this type of situation to occur, but your response made it seem like, wow, this this doesn't happen. It doesn't happen often. And usually it does take something like that pulling strings. Somebody who, you know, seems like a very fortuitous opportunity for Dan to run into that guy who because at some point it just it just needs a signature, right? That's the way the military works, right? So, you know, at some point it just needs someone to sit down and be like, yes, and just sign it. Right. But, you know, getting past that, getting past that bureaucracy has got to be like so challenging. I mean, I've talked with some people who a lot of stuff about discharge upgrades and stuff and, and, you know, they go through their congressman, but, but, you know, they don't have the authority to do that. It has to go into the big machine, right. Up to headquarters somewhere at some DOD headquarters to, to get changed. So that's really, I think, you know, that was really lucky for Dan that he ran into the guy who's in charge of the recruiters, right? Because otherwise he was, he might not have never got past that point, right? That, that, that is the key. That, and also, if the story that I was told, that's how it went down, and I have every reason to believe it did go down that way. I mean, a colonel still 
still said no and a sergeant major looked into my history and said because my scores before like this wasn't i wasn't i wasn't a shitbag marine i was a very locked on marine i did recruiting duty i had very good scores it was really what happened to this marine he was motivated even though he didn't didn't like his job he's motivated and did this and then all of a sudden he just decided that i am an extreme personality you know a lot of us have our own to me it was all or nothing right black or white yeah and sometimes that can be a blessing and sometimes it can be a curse right if you have those types of extreme uh motives and just that that's kind of how you work so to me it was i wanted that job or nothing i couldn't see anything else Mm, yeah so the fact that i still ended up that way in that unit was really cool but if that sergeant major really didn't sit down that colonel and say sir i strongly encourage you to give this young man another shot i mean what else do you want to see from yeah yeah right and and i i I told the major i said i won't let you down and that's still what i tell him now as he volunteers for working you know our company now so yeah well you had such a passionate drive like you said the fire to get back in and then you're in you get that honorable discharge uh what's next that's that's the thing is like you 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 hold that fire and you hold that passion for so long and then finally you accomplish the goal so you get out what was what was next well pretty much since i you know since i was in school and and as far as my aspirations they've always fell under two main things uh, the military world the entertainment specifically music world so those two things were always the industries i wanted to work in so what i what i did after i got back was i started building up my music academy again because some of those kids they moved on and went to different teachers i had a music academy that was teaching you know putting kids together in young bands and teaching uh we taught guitar drums bass it's a music academy so started building that back up and i also built a band that uh was a vehicle for me to create my own stuff called weapon x and a lot of the themes in weapon x were military related you know some of the song titles some of the drum cadences things like that so it's kind of been marrying those two things together ever since and 2012 we decided to because we were building concerts you know smaller concerts and small clubs and stuff but we decided to marry the two things together and call it warrior fest the first year which happened in beverly hills uh, in july of 2012 and that, that was a fun event and it kind of set the precedent of what was to come mm-hmm. uh, when we went to trade market we realized that 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 festival name was already taken so that was a blessing too, because we came up with American Warrior Festival, which I like ten times more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that two, two questions, yeah. two quick questions. Sure. One, sure. what type of music is Weapon X? It, it's a heavy band. It's based. Uh, it's a metal band that uh, is kind of you know drums, guitar, you know vocals, the traditional metal rock band setup. But we we do kind of do other things with orchestration. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some ideas to build that out a little bit further with some other instruments and kind of try new things, but it, it's, it's a rock, hard rock metal band for sure. Okay. So, and uh, are you a lead vocalist? Are you a guitarist? Like what do you, what's yeah, your part? Both, both, both vocals and guitar. Mm-hmm. We, we have another uh, awesome guitar player, drums, bass, bassist. We have uh, musicians based out of LA and out of New York. Okay. It costs a lot to fly people back and forth. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna show my dorkiness here. Is Weapon X a, a callback to Marvel and Wolverine? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because when we went to trademark that, Marvel <laughs> said Marvel said you can use the name as long as you don't connect any Wolverine stuff to it. Yep. Huh. So we were very thankful because they could have just taken their huge foot and put it on our head. Yeah. Yeah, Disney likes to do that. They're like, that, yeah. that's mine. <laughs> And luckily, I think in 2007, it wasn't part of Disney yet, right? So oh, that's I think, true. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's definitely inspired. The name is inspired, but we, yeah, we, we separate it from that, but it, it's definitely some inspiration there. For those of our audience that may not know Weapon X, it's basically Wolverine uh, whenever he was given, like, metal claws. So kind of <laughs> gives you an idea of, like, the me- heavy metal 
sound. Yeah. So, That's so cool. yeah. Um, so lead us into uh, the, 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 how American Warrior Festival sort of got bigger. How, how did it start to expand? Well, we, we said, okay, uh, what is the foundation of this event? What, what is the blueprint? And it really was you know, live music, which is multi-genre. We have everything from, we've had everything from metal to jazz to classical. Um, whatever it is, though, we like it to be rough around the edges stuff, grittier type of bands, whatever genre it is. That was kind of the foundation, the live entertainment. Then we, we knew we wanted to send veterans and military free. And actually, this is going to tie into something Ryan mentioned earlier. We realized, though, this event was great to let veterans enjoy some live music for free and, and, and food and drinks. But we knew we needed our uh, quality of life day-to-day -day veteran organizations that help vets out, like Mission 22, the VA Vet Center. We started inviting other veteran groups that help veterans with things like that, PTSD, suicide prevention and awareness, um, home repairs, hunting and fishing trips, you, you name it, we, we've pretty much worked with it. Scuba diving, four-wheeling, all kinds of different things. We'd invite these nonprofit groups to our events for free so veterans could also go get a bunch of pamphlets on organizations that are there to serve them. So that kind of became the blueprint of we became a uh, kind of a platform for nonprofit groups, veteran groups to reach their veteran uh, demographic. So these veterans, they could go into the VA vet center. Uh, Brian, do you have the big white vehicle that goes to all the events? Yep. Well, we, we don't have one here, but we work with one near nearby. Yeah. Yep. I got to introduce you to my buddy, Sean Crandall. He's out of Rochester, but he's, he works in the same field and he's one of the best people I know. Um, I'll just tie you guys in just, yeah, you know, even, that sounds great. Just to say hello, but he would bring the big white uh, white truck down to the event, and veterans would go in there and talk about some things that have been bothering them, maybe some of their benefits that need to be fixed. Sure. Mm -hmm. So we call it, oh, but yeah, I guess I should say we call it, those are called the mobile vet centers. Mobile vet centers. Are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting how you guys park those things, man. They're pretty big. They're huge. Yeah. So every time we have to coordinate <laughs> bringing one in, I have to be like. I'm going to need upwards of 10 parking spaces that you're going to have to like rope off for me to make sure I can get this thing in there. Uh, because it's not just getting it in. It's also getting it out. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. I commend you on your driving skills, man. Cause I've seen that in action and I, I wouldn't want to be behind the wheel trying to park that. Oh, thing. I don't drive it. I just ground guide it. I, oh. I bring it. In. I got the arm signals, right? Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> some of those spots very necessary yeah so this sounds like really really awesome and like so how um give us a, a sense of like how long you guys have been doing this and then where where you guys are doing it and 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 how, you know, how does that all work out the first 10 years of it we kept that template in place and we moved that around to cities like San Diego, um, San Antonio, Austin, Washington, D.C., Nashville, New York City, Rochester, Buffalo. I believe that's about it. We've done events in other, other cities and states, but that's like the American warrior history so far. And we basically duplicated that and realized that there was a passion for it in every area. And we tried to find places that were music rich and military rich. Like Austin and San Antonio is perfect too, because yeah, San Antonio is maybe more the military town, but Austin's more the entertainment town. Uh, Nashville goes without saying. DC, you know, it's just kind of a natural fit too. Mm -hmm. So we we started gaining some momentum with that, and then COVID hit and, and obviously took our events and and put us down for two years. Where yeah. in that time, to stay proactive. We started our podcast, actually, which mm -hmm. ironically, we're dusting off. And I believe Saturday we're going into our new studio. Nice. To, to record. Yeah, because we have a buddy. We did it on our laptops. It was very kind of lo-fi. But we started having some, some technical issues. But we did. I believe we're up to 18 or 19 episodes, but we haven't done one in about 
year and a half, two years. Hmm. So what is the podcast to, centered on? It's basically, it's just kind of a media outlet for what we're doing with the events. Okay. It, it's not so much a show on its own per se to be its own show, even though we kind of like it to be entertaining. It really is kind of a, uh, a media outlet for what we are doing with the events. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a marketing, like, it's a way to market out what, what American Warrior Festival is up to. Yes, exactly. So in the meantime, since uh, COVID, we've uh, we've done other events and, and tried new things. So we realized that we want to split it into two pillars times three phases. The two pillars, we have these slogans that we want to build into because they're they're pretty lofty. Our slogan has always been, to, you know, a celebration of our troops, veterans, and the American way of life. But our two pillars are, we'd like to be champions of military branded entertainment. That's music, uh, so, you know, films that are branded with the military, gaming, podcast, media, getting military branded entertainment out into popular culture to have more individuals just be interested in learning about military history and service just as a what their grandfather went through maybe they want to serve we want to put military branded entertainment back out there in a positive light because we feel in a lot of ways military service is being kind of uh, uh shut out in ways you know we talk to recruiters a lot a lot of parents don't want them around a lot of schools don't want them around and uh i personally don't think that's a good thing uh, even if it's just sharing information, I think that individuals should learn about colleges, trade schools, and the military. I want to break that, help us break down some of those, uh, some of the stigmas that maybe hurt recruiting, or, or I just want to help get it out there. So, champions of military brand and entertainment, and then also we want to help change the face of U.S. military recruiting with our mentorship and training program. By helping all those kids that walk into the recruiting station that can't academically or physically pass, that get sent back out never to be seen again. And we've had uh, success levels at different levels on both pillars. Uh, the mentorship training program, we, we have six kids that were failing that are now either in boot camp or getting ready to ship off to boot camp. So those small victories. We want the six kids to turn into a hundred kids to turn into a thousand kids. We want the all volunteer model to stay safe for a very long time. We don't want to see the military drop its standards. We definitely don't want to see any type of draft situation. So we feel the all volunteer model is the way to go and to continue. That's something that just kind of fell in our lap by recruiters coming to our events and telling us they were having challenges. So I, the, I yeah. think that's really true. I mean, like you, you see in the news recently that uh, the military is having difficulty meeting its recruiting requirements. Uh, you did a, a stint as a recruiter when I was, when I was uh, enlisted, I did a, a short stint as, uh, as a recruiter as well. And yeah. that was, boy, that was back in like 2007, right? The surge was going on overseas and the war was really bad. And like high schools, like weren't even letting us in the door to mm -hmm. speak with, to speak with students. And then you, uh, you do run into that. Um, I'm looking at your website right now and you, you know, you, uh, you say that with only 30% of high school students currently qualified to join the U S military, right? That's so then from that 30%, then you have to get those people to join. Right. And then it's, you know, we always hear all about the 1% of the, of the population that serves in the military. Right. And I, the thing that always drove me crazy as a, as a recruiter was that like the people who come up and talk to you, for some reason, the people who are like, yeah, I really want to learn more. There's something with them that they can't join, right? They got, you know, they got, they have some sort of, they got a criminal record or some sort of physical ailment or something that like is going to preclude them from, from joining. And or a tattoo on their pinky. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Or <laughs> tattoo in some weird place. You're like, well, I can't, you know, I can't enlist you because, you know, of one of these reasons. So it's hard. That's really interesting. So what, who who runs this training program for you guys? How does that work? The training program, because we, we we're moving it up the the chain with the two branches that are you know the two branches that are running with it. Take a wild guess. 
I'm going to have to say the Army and the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah. Space and Force I, and Coast Guard. That's what I was going with. That's what <laughs> <laughs> I, tell the, I tell the Navy and the Air Force, I'm like, fellas, we're, you know, ladies and gents, we're here for you too. send people our way. And we, we went in the Air Force recruiting station and we told them, we're like, yeah, we got some physical fitness programs. And they looked at us. They said, come on, we don't PT. <laughs> and I said, hey, you guys have the fanciest chow halls and the nice rugs and everything. So uh, it's basically our team. We are going to break it into two divisions because it, it's two separate, two separate things that work together. When we talk to the Marine Corps and the Army and they say, well, are you a training group? group or are you an entertainment group i said well we're both and it's one of those things we simply cannot get rid of either one because then we explained to the, to the marine corps we said the entertainment side not only is it in our dna it's how we started it's what we it's our it's our heartbeat pulse mm -hmm. i said we feel for us to have a comprehensive holistic program the entertainment it's going to just help the future generations get interested in the Marine Corps and the Army and any mm -hmm. branch of service. So reaching the, these individuals through just the entertainment side, and the Marine Corps told us right there, they said, oh, yeah, we'd be interested in sponsoring certain events like that because we would look at it as lead generation. So see, if you got the uh, military brand being celebrated, that leads to more excitement about exploring service, and then that kicks over into the training mm -hmm. and the mentorship and besides like your rotcs and stuff uh, we've had a lot of veteran groups say that gets into our three phases of service pre-service active service and post-service tons of programs for post-service a lot of programs for active duty how many for the individuals getting ready to come in yeah it's not not a lot right mm -hmm. That's true. So, I mean, I can't think of any offhand. Right. It, so in the past, we've been able to give veterans opportunities to go and learn about other nonprofit groups and to get entertained. But now we're finding the most powerful thing we can do for a veteran. So we ask them, are they willing to join our mentorship group? And they'll say, well, what time requirements? Said it could be a 10 minute phone call. It can be you coming down and working with them in the range, on the range, in the, the MMA gym. Um, anything that you've done in your uh, military career, we want you guys to share it with the future. So if a guy wants to be a combat engineer or a, uh, you know, work on engines, we'll find a veteran that's done that. And you should see how excited veterans get to talk about their service and sharing their knowledge with the future i feel it brings back the uh, camaraderie it gives them a sense of purpose kind of a continuation of service mm -hmm. and so i feel that that might be the stronger part of what we do for veterans as we go forward because i, I see it being jobs for them down the road they can join our team as part of our training group How... that almost becomes a full third tier right it, absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. How uh, you you talked about the positive effect you you feel that it has on the on the veterans? Do you um, what is what has that meant to you? And how have you had any conversation with your team members about about that? Like the uh, you know, this providing purpose for for veterans and and mentoring a younger generation. Um, have you guys seen a lot of that, or what is you know how has that moved forward? Most of the mentorship so far has kind of been with veterans within our team. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm seeing more and more. I've talk, I talk to veterans all the time around the country. And I'll ask them kind of at the end of the conversation, hey, check this out. This is what we have going on. Would you be interested in, in mentoring in any way? And, and I say nine out of ten. But yeah, yeah, count, count me in. So I, I can kind of just see what it's going to do. I, I feel it will really, really help them with their, their morale. I think a lot of veterans struggle with, you know, what do they do after service? I think in the civilian world, obviously we know how different it is. Yeah. So I, I can foresee it being a very uh, inspirational thing for them going forward. How does a veteran become a mentor? They just need to email you? Do they go to their website? Yep. 
they can reach out to me in any way. They can call me. They can go on our website and go to our contact page and just put in the notes. I want to help out with your military mentorship and training program. Um, they can help out as a trainer. Like if they're a, a, if they were a sniper or something, they want to help out in the range or they were a hand-to-hand combat instructor. Um, if they were first aid or medic, we have, there's three, there's three phases of the training program too. It's military training, academics, and community service and uh, morals and ethics where, uh, because here's the thing too, for individuals joining, uh, the, the families could pay for it outright. If they cannot afford it and a kid is inspired to join, we will not let that individual go without the training. All they would have to do at that point is as a family or if they're old enough, an individual, they just have to provide proof of like fi- their financial situation so then we can go because we have a profit section and a nonprofit section. So we have our McDonald's and our Ronald McDonald house. Mm-hmm. So our nonprofit has a part of it that can pay for the tuition for the kids. So if a kid really wants to do it, we will not leave that behind. We will find a way to get them funded. So if they can't afford it, we have options for them. I mean, they could even work it off. I would even do stuff like that. We've done that in the past mm-hmm. where they help out and volunteer and we, you know, we, we hook them up with stuff. So uh, anyone on the mentorship side that wants to help out veterans, they can just reach out and, and tell us that they're there to help. Very cool. Uh, thinking about the entertainment side of this, you know, we're, uh, we recently at VBC talked with a gentleman who did the DOD overseas shows, which is just like a different branch of like USO. It's, it's, you know, it's interesting because we're, it's sometimes things come full circle and the people that I'm talking to in each of these programs that, you know, this is just a different form of military themed entertainment. Have you guys ever been approached by the military to tour or do anything, uh, like go to bases? Yes, we have done shows on bases. Uh, it's been quite a few years. But mm-hmm. that that Marine Corps base down in Twenty Nine Palms that uh, I served at before we you trained at before we went to Iraq, uh, Weapon X went back there and played a couple shows, and that was really interesting because that was like full circle too. So we have done a few one-off shows, but it's been quite a few years. We started after we did those first couple shows. We had a connection that was setting up most of those events. Then we tried doing a few more. And we found out there was so many more like business or the paperwork that had to be done to get to do shows on bases that we started just doing shows outside of bases or mm-hmm. just using venues outside that were much easier to book. That being said, though, with our new connections inside the military through our programs and kind of doing this longer and making more progress. I feel we can start doing more base shows, but we, we want to be able to kind of have them not be too paperwork heavy when possible. Cause it's just and work and time. And I feel like that can be a lot of work to get on, to get on base clearances yeah. and approvals and all that. And you also kind of cut out because, you know, military and veterans are a big part of our, our demographic, but there's obviously civilians that support what we do and, it's harder for them to get on base. They got to get their insurance information. It's just, there's more, there's that big, and rightfully so, right? The, the bases need to be guarded. It's, it's all, it all makes sense. It's just an extra step to get people on and off the base. Yeah. But we would like to do some more for sure, especially overseas. And at these shows, it's not just music. Like you mentioned gaming and different things like this is, you know, you're coming to the festival. There's a lot of different things you can engage with. Yeah, the gaming is going to be a brand new thing, but the music or the films, we've we've done that, and that was a good time. We actually had our friend, uh, you guys remember the movie Full Metal Jacket, right? Remember the door gunner, the you get some guy? Yeah. yeah. Tim, yeah. he's become a good friend of ours. He's been on our podcast, and he did a guest appearance at our music and film fest. We did it on the Marine Corps birthday, and Weapon X played in Los Angeles, so Right now, it's been the music and the films on that last show. But uh, the colonel there, the one I was telling you about, his company is working a lot with esports now. Mm-hmm. So we've talked to the esports companies who said they would be willing to bring military-based gaming into our shows and kind of 
handling that for us. So we're looking to get into larger shows now. We're yeah. retiring the smaller shows, 500 capacity and under. Uh, our nonprofit will still do things like that, but we're looking to do larger um, shows with heavier lifts. So it could take a little bit longer to do it because the funding is going to be substantial. Mm -hmm. But we feel that's the step to take it to really build it on a national scale that can really uh, get people's attention. It's going to have to be five, 10,000 seats as opposed to 500 seats. Because if you don't take that jump, you can go your whole career without taking that shot, right? Totally. And, and you find it uh, the, the people that come to the festival are of all ages, really? Yes, I'd say mostly 16 and above. Mm -hmm. And in the past, we've worked with mostly local and regional acts with a few national level acts. But we would like to start getting much bigger, bigger artists, which means more money, but also means more sales. And it all goes hand in hand. So talk us to us about we're in Pittsburgh. Uh, we probably have some people in Pittsburgh listening to listening to this. So uh, you were looking to sort of start start a foothold here as well. What what are you planning in the Pittsburgh region? Pittsburgh is exciting for a, a few different reasons. Uh, two right off the jump. The Marine Corps Command that we've mostly been working with in Buffalo, Rochester, and, and the Western New York areas falls under Pittsburgh's command. And so Buffalo and Rochester report to Pittsburgh. So we've been talking to the RS in Pittsburgh. So they've been real supportive of what we're doing. So that right there, we want to get down and do more in the area right in Pittsburgh because it's so close to home for the recruiting command. But then I realized that the Raiders, because American Warrior officially, you know, Raiders, Yankees, LA Kings, it just happened to be the teams that uh, I love. So I brought them on. And we started doing events around those teams. So whenever they're playing in different areas, the Raiders are coming to Pittsburgh this year. And we booked that event before the schedule came out because you had to secure the tickets. Hmm. So then we found out that they're putting our game on Christmas Eve. We're like, uh-oh. <laughs> because so many married couples are like, well, I'm, I'm out now, man. I can't, I can't go to I'll get, you know, I'll be divorced if I pick the Steelers and Raiders over my family's Christmas Eve. So we, we booked a party tent at uh, Pittsburgh State, you know, Steelers Stadium. Acrashore. Yeah, it's called Acrashore now, which everybody, I think, in Pittsburgh despises. Like, why why change it from Heinz? Heinz Field was perfect. I'm so, that, That's my own they, rant. But when I when somebody sent me some info and said, yeah, it's down at Acrashore, I'm like, where's Acrashore? What's Acrashore? Why? And they're like, that's the stadium. What stadium? Like Heinz Field. Well, like, yeah, it's Heinz Field. No, it's Acrisure now. It's like, what? Come on. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, they, they did the same thing with Staples Center out here in LA. It's now crypto.com. So, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I think that that is going to be the norm going forward. I think these sponsorship deals, title sponsors, mm -hmm. are going to go a certain amount of years. And then I think another company may come in and outbid them or. Well, it I was, yeah, when the, when the Penguins started, they got their new stadium. It was Consol, and now it's PPG Paints within like five years. Yeah, it's already, it had already switched over. Right. Yeah, I, I think that is the future. I think that's, it's here now, and I think that's going to be the norm. So I don't agree. I, 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 yeah, it, it's what you get so used to calling it something, right? But you guys will be here yeah, at Acroshore yeah. Stadium for the Steelers Oakland Raiders game. Yes. And remember Las Vegas now, right? That's another thing. Oh, yeah. Well, you're even wearing the Oakland shirt. So it's like. Oh, I am. Well, it looks like. Yeah. It's salute to service, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's going to be the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, which is great news for Steelers fans and for Raider fans. It's infamous. That 1972 game. Yeah, it's been 50 years. And I believe the, or the Steelers are retiring. I think it's the third number that they have will have retired. It's Franco Harris. They're retiring his number that night. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be uh, Christmas Eve, a big game there. I'm sure a lot of households will have that game on. And we have, we have a group, but we have like 15 to 16 seats left. And I, I, I would love to, we have to recoup some of the money if possible, but I'm really open to getting veterans in there any way that I can. If it's just comping them, if it's uh, having them come in with some friends and giving them discounts, 
I'm willing on a case by case basis <clears throat> to get more veterans in that party tent suite because it's going to be a tent covering the seats with heaters, catering, uh, servers, and a private bathroom and a separate entrance on the VIP level. So they're good, great seats. And I, I think that a lot of Steeler fans and football fans would enjoy them. So if you guys have any friends that are Steelers fans or you know, they could get away for Christmas Eve. Just have them, have them come talk to me and let's see what's possible. To work out deals and, and make it happen. I just want to get people in there and build uh, s- some friendships and relationships in that area. Very there you cool. go, Ryan. Tell tell the tell the wife that you're going to the Steeler game. Oh, I definitely <laughs> fall into that group that would get divorced. If <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Um, Dan, this is such great information about America Warrior Festival, and your story is so interesting. Um, it, it, the theme that keeps popping in my head is like, what is it? The Island of Misfit Toys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just right? like from from like your history, and it's just like you taking kids who may get rejected by the military or just saying, hey, I want to work with the kids who probably aren't like, you know, going to be number one recruit. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's really inspirational. We, you know, it's kind of, thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the, the kind words. And, and I believe that all of our work in the past has led to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, years ago, the LAPD asked us to help them with a music program with kids from South Central, from Watts. These children, they've seen way too much. They've been a part of either, either you know, the parents might have been in jail or, or you know, killed in gang warfare. It's just, these are young kids that should not have seen or been a part of what they've been a part of. So we've worked with them. We've done things at children's hospitals. So besides veterans and military, our nonprofit's called the Strength in Numbers Organization. And that website is being built right now. That is going to be up. So it really is about veterans, military, and the youth. So that really plays right into our training program because we are an underdog company. We love the underdog story. We want the kids from the air. You know, a lot of kids of ours are in group homes where no one's believed in them and everyone's told them that they maybe can't do this or can't do that. Uh, they'll call us up all the time. I want to quit. I'm, I'm not smart enough. You know, all these things, these doubts that if they didn't have their mentorship, they would give up hmm. Be- because out of the 30% that's qualified, only 9% or, or less have any interest in joining. Mm-hmm. And so as we're building this out, the people that are helping us tutor these kids are uh, retired teachers and top performing high school students. Isn't that cool? Peer to peer. Yeah. Mary. So we tell the 70%, if you want to join and, and you got the ASVAB or the fitness side, you need help. Come see us and we, we'll be here. And not, not only will we help them out on the training when these tickets become available, we tell them not only are you going to get the training, we're going to bring you to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, we always call groups, bullying groups, any youth group that could use a pick me up. We offer them tickets to Yankee Stadium, to uh, Metallica just announced a bunch of shows. So we're, that is like a, nice. when, when Metallica announces shows, it's like a huge gift to us. And they gave us the next two years of their events not personally they gave it to the world we just yeah. know how to, we know how to navigate it and get booked in those we do the suites so we can build the network yeah and have people enjoy it together in a room that's cool that's very cool and um i really appreciate you sharing your story uh and about you know your organization and all the you know great work you're doing because um what I think people might not realize is what, what you just touched on right there to build the relationships, right? So some people might look at this and be like, oh, it's a military music festival. Like, I don't get it. But like, but when you get people in a room together and you provide those personal connections, like that could be the thing that helps them, right? Not only to find the resource that they might need, but also just to have that personal connection. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that's easily quantifiable which means that it's typically like ignored, right? So uh, thank you for the work you're doing because it, it sounds like you're providing a lot of those personal connections and a lot of purpose, which does 
great things for veterans who who may be struggling. So that's that's great. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that, Dan. Oh, it, anytime. And you know what I realized too, uh, a, a real gift that we have. A lot of veteran groups, depending on what area they're in, they can kind of have maybe a smaller demo, right? Like maybe a veteran hunting group. That's kind of might have some really, uh, you know, different types of folks in that type of thing, but pretty like-minded people, right? We realized early on, wow, we got one foot in the entertainment world and one foot in the military world. Yeah, That often, those are two very different types of people in a lot of ways, right? Artistic types, military types. I mean, it's, it's all, all across the board. We didn't look at that as a negative. We looked at it as a way to unify a very divided country at this point in a lot of ways. Um, we're not, we don't get political with it. It's basically if you love, you know, you feel the country is a good spot or even if you don't come and be a part of it, making it better. Um, yeah. if, if you love supporting the veterans, even if you don't believe in the, the, uh, the mission itself or, you have any kind of issues with where the military is headed, I feel most people still care about the veterans. And I think that's huge progress since the Vietnam days, right? Mm -hmm. So we're here to kind of, through music, the universal language, all different genres, we're here to bring people together to find like-minded things, not all the differences. There's enough differences being um, explored with everyone and happening. We want to bring people together through a universal language of music and entertainment. It was awesome, Dan. I uh, can't think of a, any better note to, to end on. I think anybody who's watching this on YouTube, check out the description. We'll have links. Um, also, uh, go to the American Warrior Festival website. Reach out to Dan if you're in the Pittsburgh area or even around the Pittsburgh area. And you're like, hey, I got Christmas Eve. I'd love to come watch the Steeler game. Dan will be uh, happy to take your call and chat with you about what, what's going on there. Um, but otherwise, uh, I, I wish you nothing but luck. And I hope that you can come back on uh, the scuttlebutt you know, in, a, in a year or whatever and update us on where uh, the American Warrior Festival is at, what you guys are doing, and how you've grown. That, that sounds great to me. It's been a it's been a pleasure spending the time here with uh, you gentlemen today. And I thank you for your time. Uh, you, you know, I met you guys through uh, just kind of just discovering new organizations. And that's a big thing that, that we're looking to do is just kind of start conversations and build relationships. I think that's a, a great way to go about meeting new people today. Awesome. So I, I'm, I'm, thank, I'm thankful for you guys having me on. Thank you, Dan. And thank you, Ryan, also for coming in to, to co-host with me. Uh, and we're going to be doing our upcoming movie review uh, in a couple of weeks. So uh, guests and audience, uh, make sure you look forward to that scuttlebutt where we do a seasonal, every season we do a, a movie review and we got two good ones coming up. Uh, Ryan, do you want to give them a preview of what we're, what we're watching to review this, this year? I don't want to give anything away, uh, but I do want to say that there will be a rant. <laughs> if you if you don't like the movies come for the rant that's all we got um thank you again dan and, and audience please like share subscribe ring the bell on youtube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes and each reach out to me at sean s-h-a-u-n at veteransbreakfastclub.org Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being DND Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. DND accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. That's D&D Auto Salvage. Dot com. Uh, thank you so much to DND. Uh, they've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, the second being Tobacco Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health. So they want people to quit and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, 
and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco-Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt, uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.